Uh, John's been called a ring lardner of songwriters, and it's a very apt description to the, the memory, the perception, the irony. I'm thinking about this, is your town, John, paradise where you came from in eastern Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Last time you were here, you talked about your boyhood and childhood. Well, actually, my family yeah. came from down there. Your family. Why would you go back to visit? I mean, you went go back, back to, to visit. visit quite a bit, yeah. I was back down there in September. I uh, went back down for the first time in uh, four years since they started uh, mining down there. The strip mining. Yeah, right. And uh, could, I could just barely, uh, I could imagine where everything was at, where everything sat. Because they haven't, uh, where the actual town sat, they leveled it and they've got everything strip mined. They got spoil banks for miles and miles around there. But the actual town part, they leveled and uh, and uh, just uh, left it like that. Yeah. Did your uncle or your mother, your father, when he was alive, they ever tell you about uh, what it was like once before the strippers came? Um, well, there they they was always mining in those parts, but it was never, it was never strip mining. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say Peabody moved in down there at first, maybe uh, even six or seven years ago. Between uh, him and, uh, well, TVA had built a big plant down there. And uh, the people in Paradise were pretty excited about that because they thought it was going to bring, uh, the town was kind of dying, and they thought it was going to bring uh, uh, more people into the town and everything. But most of the workers ended up settling in, in towns around or Drakesboro and Central City and that. And then Peabody moved in and started buying up little by little. It's very funny, as you mentioned that. Some people listening may not know what strip mining is. And so not too long ago, I was in your territory, around there, a town called Blackie, Kentucky, mm-hmm. eastern Kentucky. Your town it was called actually called Paradise, wasn't it? Right. Ironic. Of course, your song right. deals with the themes. And so the memory of hunting. It was on the Green River, too. The Green River. That's the name of the river. But empty pop bottles round and about mm. now and what's happened to the town. It's too late. A man named Joe Begley, and I was sitting with him. He runs a general store. They've been there for generations, generations, as no doubt your people have been. And Joe and his wife, Ganell, run this general store, and people come there, and they air their grievances. And he's sort of a community leader, but there is no community. A town called Blackie, and it's a ghost town. The young have gone away as mm-hmm. in paradise. And Joe is telling about stripping. And this is on the front porch of the general store, the cars, the bulldozers are going by, you hear that sound in the background. And here's Joe, mm. it fits your song, it seems to me. This is Joe Begley talking. Plenty of coal here, and it should be deep mining. <clears throat> We're against strip mining, auger mining, or surface mining. Uh, they're all the same. It's complete destruction to the hills because a strip miner goes to the top of the hill, and on the very top of the hill, he takes the whole top off levels it off and the overburden he just blasts it and pushes it to the to the outcrop and uh, this will all uh, eventually come into the streams and is and polluting the streams it's taking all the wildlife uh, it's running people homes uh, destroying homes running people out and it's an ugly uh, indecent way to get coal it's cheap dirty coal and uh, it's being influenced by uh, uh, government. Uh, our government uh, owns and operates TVA, uh, for instance, uh, Wolf Creek Dam in this state. That's all, all owned by the government. Uh, we don't uh, have anything for strip mining operators. They're usually people coming in 
to Kentucky. I call them sidewinders or rattlesnakes or whatever you want to <laughs> call them. Uh, they come in from other states and they're destroying Appalachia. Are these companies? These companies. Yeah. And, and they're, uh, they have uh, the law on their side. Uh, we uh, here, uh, if a rattlesnake invades us and we kill a rattlesnake, the law is in back of us. But an operator is another kind of a rattlesnake. Uh, he's uh, got the law on his side this time and it's complete destruction, and uh, we don't necessarily blame uh, the operators. We don't have any use for them, and they need to go, but we blame the people that's letting them do it to yeah. us, and I'm uh, talking about uh, elected officials. An elected official, it should be a man or people that uh, is servants of the people, but it's not like that. It's the other way around anymore, and when a citizen uh, goes to the before a grand jury in his local county and his local uh, government fails him and when he goes to the state and his state government fails him and uh, this type of thing uh, and then when you realize that the government and those legislators are uh, owning and operating like TVA and these big dams uh, it's pretty bad of course what they say what they say to the general public the uh mine operators is that by God they're providing power uh, I'm glad you mentioned the power uh, uh, we don't think that uh, uh, we know for a fact that uh, that this, the, the crisis is not like that uh, we know for for a fact that uh, in Reno Nevada and that's a gambling joint uh, they uh, have a silver slipper there that's lit up uh, by light bulbs and power-operated neon lights, and from that one uh, silver slipper, enough power is generated into that one neon sign that it would furnish power to 3,400 five-room homes to poor people. So uh, there's no such thing as uh, a shortage of coal here. Uh, I can see why they might be when I know for a fact that not long ago at Northampton, Virginia Railroad Yards, they were 56,670 ton railroad cars of coal waiting at a dock to be loaded to go into Japan. Uh, quick uh, strip mining coal here. It's a shame that the people in New York State and in Washington, D.C. would say there's a, there's a tremendous shortage of coal and we want to keep warm, that they would compromise a few people in New York to completely bury the people in Appalachia yeah. to keep warm a year yeah. or two. I wonder what's going to happen at the rate the operators is going here, what's going to happen in a year or so when all this coal is go gone, then what are we going to do and what are they going to do to keep warm? You're saying there's enough coal deep in the earth for deep mining, is that it? Uh, we'll hear more from Joe Begley from time to time on this program, quite a remarkable man. John Prine is guest and John is a powerful young singer and writer of songs and I couldn't help but think of your song, Paradise, in the words of Joe Begley. Yeah, yeah. That's some very interesting Did, did stuff, uh, some of your family talk like Joe? Yeah. Um, they, they more, it was in the same, the same shape. The, the town, Paradise, was maybe back, uh, I'd say, seven or eight years ago. You know, just about, it seems, the way uh, that his is now. There were just a couple of stores left, and mostly... Uh, older people in the town, the young had left the town, and uh, they just started buying up uh, 
a great uh, a great deal of land around there was split up like amongst uh, well my my grandmother had uh, I think 12 brothers and sisters and they all had pieces of land that all had gone somewhere else and they owned these pieces and uh, Peabody had been trying to get them for a long time did they ever talk of something called the broad farm that sounds familiar but I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't say for sure because I uh, well, this is but what uh, Joe talks about, and Harry Cottle, the lawyer, uh -huh. who was defending some of the people living around there, fighting the strippers. And uh, that was, it was the big companies came in, a lot of the people at the time, two generations ago, were unable, had little education, and couldn't read too well, and so they signed with an X. But they signed away the rights to all that is below the surface, mineral rights. Mm -hmm. As a result, they see it from the hollers where they live. They mm -hmm. see their own land being destroyed. Yeah. And when they try to protest, they're arrested. Yeah, well, I do remember my father speaking of uh, the land that my grandmother had. Uh, there wasn't much choice in her selling it or not. It was uh, it was pretty well. Uh, they had it tied up all around there, and there wasn't much uh, use in holding out. And they and they didn't pay a very good price for it. Well, this comes to you, John Prine, and the songs you write because you're a city guy. Even though you came, your people mm -hmm. came from a small town, a mining town, our ghost town in eastern Kentucky. So it's a combination of the two, isn't it? Like many city kids like the music that seems country music. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed that lately, yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. <laughs> uh, I just more or less wrote them because that was, uh, uh, that was my background. That's what uh, I wrote about. Paradise. Now what's another okay. one so that comes out of your observation? Paradise, so obviously, childhood oriented that is you know what your parents have told you and your visits back to your parents town mm -hmm. what's another song I'm thinking about the powerful songs you've written the great many Donald Lydia of course how that how did Donald Lydia come to be written well I had um, uh, the towns around uh, army camps this uh, small towns they're usually made up of uh, oh some of them have as little as uh, Maybe they just have like seven saloons and a beauty parlor, you know, and a and a store, and that's it. But they're mainly there for uh, for the GIs to come in on weekends to the place. And uh, I was kind of interested in the people that lived in these towns because I just wondered um, what what sort of uh, life they led, you know. Now and I realize a great many of them depended on the army post being there. Uh, in order for them to make their living, you know, but I just thought it was kind of a different uh, way to live than most people, most small towns, you know. And uh, I always wanted to, I wanted to write a song about that. Uh, uh, I remember this uh, one girl in particular I'd seen down, uh, I was stationed down at Fort Polk, Louisiana. I went down to Leesville, Louisiana. It's a little bitty town. And, uh, they try and make the small towns look like uh, uh, look like New York on Saturday night, you know. And they, I mean, they got all these bright neon signs and everything, but it's just a basically a little town. And it was kind of a there was a contrast there. It just didn't, you know, seem to fit, you know. It was supposed to take uh, all these boys that were away from home. It was supposed to bring them back to a little bit of their home, but it it uh, really didn't, you know. It just made them more lonely. And the very so. lights themselves, a touch of neon there to some of the lights, too. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. even, it's funny, the lights sometimes make you even more lonely than ever. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Oh. 
And I, I, I was originally going to write a song about, uh, I was going to write a song about Lydia, whom I didn't take exactly from that, that uh, just that uh, girl I remember down in Leesville. I, uh, I took her, I took several characters to build her. And uh, I was going to write a song about her and her mother and her father. I couldn't find a strong enough character for her father, so I just uh, instead wrote it about a soldier and Lydia. You know how sometimes a song that is powerful haunts someone who hears it this way with my experience? In hearing, some time ago, I first heard John sing this, John Prine, down to Lydia, and I was just overwhelmed, as Chris Christopherson has been, as others have been who have been recording it. But I was in the, on this way to Kentucky, way from eastern Kentucky during this trip. It was somewhere in Indiana. It was mm. a greasy spoon. It was a restaurant. It was night. It was Saturday night or Friday night. It was crowded. And there was this waitress, a big girl, uh, not a glamour girl, you know, uh -huh. a big girl working. And she was working so hard. I thought of her as Lydia. And mm. it was a tall, lean, kind of pimply-looking kid sitting in a corner, eating alone by himself. Yeah. Sort of, and he struck me as Donald. Yeah. You know, the universality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you happen to see The Last Picture Show? Uh, last, well, I was going to ask you about yeah. Last Picture Show. Yeah, yeah, the movie Last Picture Show, in a way, deals with the, the town that you were describing in the song Paradise. And Begley, earlier, Joe Begley said there was a picture show. Once upon a time, he says that there was a bank here and a big restaurant and a picture show and uh -huh. a big main street with concrete. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. Last picture show hits you as as right in that respect. Right, yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling it would, uh, yeah. Donald and Lydia. Donald and Lydia. <coughs> and, uh, and what? An imagination. A warehouse of strangers, the phrase used there, a warehouse of strangers. That was, uh, army barracks. Mm-hmm. Uh. What do you think, a warehouse where things are? That's it, isn't it? Yeah. About. Yeah. It uh, it especially hit me like that when uh, you'd move in for a couple of days and move right out again. Uh, <coughs> it's a little bit different. Uh, I mean, being together for a while with a, with a bunch of guys, but uh, you get. Uh, but when you move in for a couple of days, and uh, everybody moves in for a couple of days, and then all go on separate ways, and and you're all jammed in there. And <laughs> it's the impersonal. I can remember stealing light bulbs. Uh, it was sort of a status thing. How many? How bright your light was. <laughs> where was this? This was where? This was in? Oh, um, this was uh, down at Fort Polk. Oh, you were in for a while? Uh-huh. Fort Polk is where? That's Louisiana. In Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And the the bulb, too, you mentioned the bulb, the 60-watt bulb. Was it the 60-watt bulb? Right. Yeah, that's right. A certain kind of light is given by a 60-watt bulb. I'm thinking about the songs you've written and you write. The Atlantic is the album of John Prine's songs that are really three-minute, four-minute, five-minute dramas, really short stories. And uh, John's at where he had some of his early, as we say, early triumphs, <laughs> where he was recognized the Earl of Old Town. He's there through Saturday night. John, any any uh, songs have come to your mind now? Any ones you've been working on or uh, since well, the album? Well, one just came um, There was one. Uh, this is an older one. But uh, I was going to use this for Lydia's mother. And it turned out, instead, it turned out to be another song completely. Like I was saying, I couldn't find a, mm -hmm. a character for Lydia's father.
this happens, doesn't it, as, as you're tuning. Uh, that which was one kind of song, uh, something happens in the creation of it, in the making of it. Something doesn't quite go right and becomes something wholly different. Yeah, if I couldn't get what I originally started out to get, then I'd just have to change it completely. Uh, uh, and uh, it came out good in this case. I didn't have anything left over. I got to make another song. What's it called? Of, uh, the Angel from Montgomery. I uh, had a, like a, oh, about around a 47 or 48-year-old housewife in mine in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, like I said, it was originally going to be the character, or parts of, of this song was going to be in Donald and Lydia. The Angel from Montgomery. Right. Angel from Montgomery, make me an angel, make me a poster of an old rodeo. Somehow you can't help but think of, you know, something was missing somewhere. And uh, You know, look home at Angel, you know, the Thomas Wolfe novel, way yes, back. I have a, I have well, anyway, the, the old Oliver Gant, Eugene's father, is a tombstone maker and this angel, you know. And somehow you have a feeling of something was lost somewhere, this very passionate man. And young Eugene, who was Thomas Wolfe, mm. thinks of all the, the what's missing. And his brother Ben would always look over his shoulder. Oh, listen to that, will you? As though he's talking to the angel, you see. Yeah. So something that might have. So this angel from Montgomery is about what might have been, isn't it? Yeah. Is what might have been there. Yeah. Um, I had well, what I had in mind was that uh, was that uh, her uh, husband just wasn't paying much attention to her lately, and she had just uh, uh, gotten around to looking back her youth and uh, kind of wishing that uh, maybe she'd uh, taken a couple of different roads. Well, why Montgomery? What made it? Oh, uh, that came more out of a, oh, a lot of times I'll write things down and uh, um, they'll become uh, uh, more pleasing to the ear. Like, and uh, and then I try and work that in with with some logic, you know, Rather than uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to get uh, more into uh, uh, a little bit more melodic things uh, rather than just stick to straight stories. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want the word to uh, have a pleasant sound and also to to uh, mean something at the same time. So you, it's it's a double a double uh, goal on your part here, of course. Mm -hmm. There's the, the song itself, the story that is told at the same time. You're thinking of the Mm -hmm. The musical aspects of it too. Both so Montgomery had the feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I figured Montgomery would be a better place than maybe Oshkosh, Wisconsin, yeah, or something. Montgomery. Also, something else. Uh, as you're talking, this is this woman who feels if it took another road, it could apply to a guy who remember met this guy. He happened to be Appalachian, Horton Blair. I called him in Division Street, and it was in the back of this grocery store they ran. Although he did other work, his wife ran the store. And he worked, just came home tired, and he said, what do you do? Wh what do you think of? Nothing much. Read the papers, scan a headline, watch TV? Nope. You think about tomorrow? Nope. Uh, what do you do when you get home? Nothing. And later on it came out, once upon a time, he almost was a school teacher. He was very good in history as a yeah. kid. Uh -huh. but took another road, you see. So it, it applies. So your songs, the John Prine songs, have really a, a beyond gender in fact, they're quite universal indeed in quality. And John is, you'll hear him, it's quite an experience seeing as well as hearing John Prine at the Earl of Old Town through Saturday. His album, some of the celebrated songs, and they are celebrated now, is, is Atlantic. We'll resume in a moment after a slight pause.
picking up the conversation with singer and writer of songs, John Prine. Who was it made the crack, John, that you write songs like, they call them, uh, you remind them of Ring Lardner. I was thinking of that. And well, the fellow that, uh, that uh, signed me up at the record company, Jerry mm-hmm. Wexler, he's vice president of Atlantic Records, and uh, he sent me um, a book of uh, short stories by Ring Lardner after that. Did you read? And, I'm uh, thinking. I was reading yeah. some like the, the Golden Honeymoon. And, uh, Golden Honeymoon. Well, mm-hmm. naturally, I think of old folks, don't we? Yeah. yeah. You read Golden Honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Haircut. And haircut, right. Others, yeah. yeah, I especially liked Haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had been thinking about, uh, oddly enough, uh, writing a song just on that uh, kind of theme where it comes back right from at the end. It comes back again to... Uh, to uh, the beginning of the conversation. That was something, that haircut one. Yeah. See, the barber's talking casual, now the horror of and what happens. Over, yeah, uh, an entire... The horror of the <laughs> feelings of people in that town. The retarded boy, what happened in the killing. Now, old folks... And, uh, ended, ended up taking a little bit, uh, what was it, the, uh, take a little bit more off the side. Yeah. I think that's how he ended it. Isn't that the whole idea, the mm-hmm. casual conversation and in in the un, the unspoken words or the dropped phrases really tell about a person's life, don't they? In mm. a sense, yeah. Yeah. how'd you come to write old folks? Well, I had a melody written, and I was going to write a love song because it was such a nice melody. And uh, I really don't know. I just sat down to write about old folks instead. It was easier to write about for me, for me than it was to write a love song at the time. Um, I really can't think of any particular reason. It's funny, you read uh, Golden Honeymoon later after the guy sent you that. Right. Golden Honeymoon, you're dealing with this guy, and there's the going down to Sarasota, Florida, this couple, Golden Honeymoon, he tells us, just keeping us tired in the, the dullness, the drabness of a life, and the emptiness of it. And again, what might have been, perhaps, uh, Lardner's bite at the same time as understanding. Oh, folks, John Prine. Okay. Funny, you know how that you read you read the papers you pick up. It's funny as though you were reading an item on page forty-seven of any newspaper, morning or evening, and it's about some old guy, an old woman, or an old couple, and uh, somebody finds him, or they're there, or once in a while they make the papers, or a senior center, some people are talking, and it's again the neglected group. We cover that too, don't we? Yeah, I was just up in Milwaukee last weekend, and a friend of mine took me. For uh, uh, showed me around the town because he'd been living up there quite a while, and he showed me this one building. There was this one big uh, round building down by the Milwaukee River. Uh, it's uh, an old people's home, and they found out last year or something that uh, um, the construction of the place somehow it had something to do with. Uh, um, there was a high rate of. Uh, of mental illness of the, pe- the the people living in there there was uh, uh the rooms were pie shaped and everything and they found out you know just the way they had the whole place set up it was just uh, uh, uh none of them had ever been placed in a situation like that before and uh matter of fact i think that's where i blew the words back there i got to thinking about that over the weekend uh, when i was up there it's funny as you're talking, uh, out of context. See, there's something here. In all your songs have this recurring theme that 
is so much part of our world and our life today, and that's this split away from the split people from natural environment or from themselves. And as a, there's now a resurgence of interest on in the early American artist, Edward Hopper, who painted some 30, 40, 50 mm -hmm. years ago, 40 years, and Hopper in his paintings has this too, this, the people are sort of faceless, and yet this tremendous loneliness is there, you see. They're out of context, out of joint, and you have it in, in Don Lydia, of course, and you have it in, in old folks, and it's a theme that's overwhelming, and you capture it, so that's why your song, to me, is so powerful. Mm. Uh, I've got something uh, new here. It's, uh, I wrote a song about, uh, I'd wanted to write about this for a while. It's, uh, it was difficult to write about, though, because I wanted to write a song about uh, sentimentality, you know, uh, and have the song be sentimental, and yet uh, ask people not to be so sentimental at the same time, you know, and it was difficult to approach, you know. But uh, this one's, I really don't know what the name of this is yet. Well, it's I'm waiting for, waiting for people to ask for it. I think, I think it's called Billy the Bum. Billy the Bum? Yeah, I'm not sure. Tentatively. Okay. Cried pennies on Sunday morning, laughed nickels on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I was thinking he just did the same as everybody else. Uh. Yeah. I figured that was, that's uh, living on a weekend. Mm -hmm. Sunday morning going down. Right. You know, that one uh -huh. of Chris Christopherson. So part of a pattern here. By the way, it's not a sentiment. As you say, it's a danger of being sentimental. Mm -hmm. Sentimentality. In fact, it's the opposite. It has a certain bite to it there underneath it all. You know, the pity. You know, uh, the patronizing sort of pity. And it's something else. I figured the best way to show what that was to be, uh, was to be sentimental mm -hmm. in a way. And, uh, uh, it wouldn't do any good just to talk about it, uh, just to observe it. Mm. Mm. But sentimental is as distinguished from sentimentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had more in mind, actually, on that. I had more in mind people that, uh, with, uh, that were more uh, mentally handicapped than physically, mm. actually, and I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't work that in like I wanted to because yeah. uh, I knew several, as a child, uh, there were several uh, characters around mm. town like there is everybody's neighborhood, you mm. know, that... Uh, uh, oh, they come down and play at the park with the kids and everything. Maybe they, they've got the mind of maybe about mm -hmm. 11 year old or so. And it's a beautiful and, uh, novel you ought to read called The Morning and the Evening by Joan Williams. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it's about the theme. The central figure is this boy who is retarded, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the town's reaction toward him and those who are close and those who are not. And What's the name of the game? Mother's Day. The Morning and the Evening. See mm -hmm. if I can it came out several years ago. Joan Williams is the author. It's, very, it's on this very theme. Oh, there's a kid in the in the last picture show too. Right. It was right. also yeah. I mean, so again, we come to the universality. Every town, every community would seem has this kind of guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and what's it? What is it that impels you? Before we have another one, perhaps one of your own choosing, any one that you've done before, another new one, perhaps. I know, you, I know your uncle's written several songs. You can't sing at the moment, but you will once he gives the okay. Uh, what impels you? That's a, a general question. Uh, uh, okay, I was going to say something. About Go ahead. What were you going to say? Um, it was uh, kind of odd. He uh, um, about uh, 32 or 33 years ago, he was working in the mines down. In Humber County, as uh, most of the people around there, and uh, 
he used to pick uh, Merle Travis comes from the same area, Ike Everly and uh, Mose Record, and they all uh, they all did that kind of picking. Uh, I really can't do it too good. It's more Ray Tate's job, but it's like. Stuff like that, and it was, uh, and uh, he lost his uh, finger, his uh, forefinger, uh, and couldn't pick anymore like that. And he got out of the mines after that. He lost it in the mines, and stopped playing guitar. And uh, last September, I went back down home for uh, homecoming. Uh, head down there, we got all the relatives together, and uh, I played all afternoon. And after that. Uh, a couple days after he went back home, he got his guitar back out and started playing again. Hadn't played in about 32, 33 years. And all the stuff that he was playing was uh, all just where he left off. He was playing uh, old Jimmy Rogers stuff, which was popular music then. And uh, Yodel, beautiful. like Tifa, bird, Texas, you know? Tifa, Tennessee. Yeah, and he just did him, just knocked me out. And he, said, he finally sent me a tape, you know, of all the stuff. And now he's starting to, uh, to uh, write songs, you know. And uh, like I say, he wrote one about the floods in West Virginia, and um, a couple others. Uh, I really wish I I knew them all because I'd like to because uh, there's some good good ones. And he wrote he did write a song also about him losing a finger in the coal mines, and the last verse ends up with him hearing me at a party, yeah, and uh, going back and picking it up, and it's uh, it's called a. Um, old coal miners blues or something. I think that? I know. I know maybe just like a verse. I give you an idea. Do that? Of it. Sure. Just an idea of it. Sure. Something like yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. something occurred to me. Something is happening. <laughs> Something's happening out there, and we do know what it is, Mr. Jones. I think I have a feeling that see your uncle now, who had never thought of writing songs, starting to write songs. Cause you, his nephew, have been writing songs. I think something's happened now with older people too, as a result of younger people, younger composers and writers and creative spirits, that it's contagious. And there's all that poetry lying around, all that talent lying around, maybe forthcoming, you know? Very exciting. Do you have that feeling? Hopefully, yeah. 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 I'd like to hear a lot more uh, like that. I think there is. I think there's a lot of people just uh, uh, either hiding around or. Yeah. Uh, I think it's there, uh, just waiting to, to come yeah. out. Yeah. And uh, a, a minstrel such as you, minstrel in the very good sense of the word, uh, such as you, has uh, playing a role. You and Stevie Goodman and Jim Post and the others playing a role. And John Prine is my guest, and he's now nationally known. We're happy to see the <laughs> report. Atlantic is the album, and he's at the Earl of Old Town on Wells, on uh, Wells just off North Avenue through Saturday night, and it's. An experience uh, seeing and hearing John with a song. What's one to say goodbye for? Well, this is uh, just to show I don't write all sad songs. <laughs> I uh, only write happy songs every once in a while. I really like to, though. You know, I like to write more of them. This is a song here about a fellow who went out and got himself a, uh, a new boat, and he was out sailing around the ocean with it. And uh, he's pretty excited because his first boat he ever owned. And it uh, happened to be the same day Christ was walking around on the water. And uh, neither one of them was watching what they were doing. And this fellow ran over him and knocked him down. 
And when he realized what he'd done, he turned the boat around, went back and picked him up out of the water and hauled him up in the boat. And uh, anyhow, it turns out that Christ hadn't talked to nobody in a long, long time, so uh, he dumps all his troubles on on this fella, and uh, he can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> What's the name? What do you call him? Everybody needs somebody that they can talk to. All right, that's a that's a that's a song. So to John Prine to say goodbye for now, and everybody needs somebody they can talk to. <laughs> 